getting your life in order. And you had said balance earlier. I really feel like it is that work-life integration and being a whole being and not just a wife or a mom and a CEO. It's not one of the three. It's figuring out how to be all three because I am only one person and I am all three every single day. I am all three and it's not separating it out. Now I'm the CEO. Now I can go be a mom. No, like I'm only one person. And so for me, that's where I really struggled in the first couple of years of the business was trying to figure out how to get that right. And honestly, I didn't. Hi friends. Welcome to the sales enablement podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Mary Grothy and Howard Brown. Howard is the founder and CEO of RingDNA. Mary is the CEO of House of Revenue. And today is another one of the conversations we're having this month on this podcast about mental health in sales, or more precisely, mental health in sales. Except today, a little unusual, I'm taking the day off, and Howard is taking my place behind the microphone to talk with Mary. Now, Howard's really qualified to do this because he's an actual trained psychologist. Now, in this conversation, Mary tells the story of how her early successes in sales and the expectations she then put on herself and the expectations of other people that she felt pressured to live up to led her to a very dark place in her life. She was lost and lonely and like many people in life. And Howard and Mary explore the story of the pivotal moments that changed her life, how she fought back and evolved into a person who's now able to enjoy her successes in life and in sales. So all this and much, much more. Before we get to Howard and Mary, I just want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. So hi, Mary. So excited to be with you. Um, love to hear just a little bit about you and your background. It seems like you're doing House of Revenue. You have the uh, BQ. You have a lot of training, public speaking going on. Tell me, how do you get it all done and how do you balance your life and, and who's Mary? Wow. <laughs> so that's a lot all in a row. Let me break it down. <laughs> My, my background is in sales and my full story, you can find it anywhere on the internet. So go, go look for it. But the short version is at 22, I didn't have really much of anything going for me, but someone believed in me, a sales manager at a payroll company uh, called Paychecks and hired me on as a district sales assistant, fast track, got to learn the sales profession from an admin perspective. After two years of that became the number one mid-market rep and did that for uh, five years to when I left and started my first entrepreneurial journey. I, While I was at Paychex and selling payroll, I had such a passion for the executive teams that I was working with. And I was in the mid-market, so I worked with some pretty decent-sized companies, but I got to learn at a young age what a high-performing team and high-performing company looked like. Also, such a blessing that I got exposed to dozens of different types of companies and industries and took it upon myself to actually learn their business. With that, after five years with Paychex, I became a business strategist for entrepreneurs. I wanted to help build business plans and help them see their path to market and how they could win out of the gate and not enter into the tumultuous first one to five years as a startup when most small businesses fail. I did that for three years. Um, unfortunately, I was a little bit of a rookie entrepreneur, so I didn't know how to price for my services. I didn't know how to delegate. I didn't know how to structure my work week. And so I just worked 
myself to exhaustion. With that, I went back to Paychex for three more years. I met my now husband. We got married, bought a house, had a baby. And uh, very thankfully, I got to sell one of the top 10 largest deals in company history. And with that six-figure commission check, I formed a company three and a half years ago called Sales BQ. And when we first started Sales BQ, my mission was to help small business owners build out a high-performing sales org, which you and I both know is a big thing to take on. And most small business owners do not get it right. They're on their fourth or fifth rep, just turning them every six to 18 months, and they just don't work out. And so for our team, small at the time, that was our passion. We focused on BQ, the behavioral quotient. People asked me, how do you be a top sales performer? Well, that's a long answer, but one of the components that I always felt was different was the get up and go. It was the action. It was a combination of the IQ, the EQ, but also the BQ. And IQ and EQ didn't carry as much weight if you didn't have the behavioral component. And so that was our company. But 18 months in, we had a wake-up call. Our clients, we were building great sales teams, but they were hitting ceilings. We, at the time did not have a say in our clients' branding, marketing, customer success, or revenue operations. And this was 2019. And if you weren't including those in your holistic revenue strategy and you're just focusing on sales, like you're not winning. And so we doubled in size and we became experts in all of those areas. In 2020, we rebranded as House of Revenue and we served nine full-service clients, meaning we went on as a fractional revenue team, covered every facet of branding, marketing, sales, customer success, rev ops, and had tremendous success in scaling on average about 1,500% um, ROI on investment for our services versus the growth that we got um, on average is about three, $3.2 million in sub $20 million companies. Really exciting. And now I'm a wife, a mom. Um, I have this like gorgeous, picture-perfect family here. And uh, my husband is David. My son is Beckham. And no, we don't like soccer. That's <laughs> just happened. Well, thank you so much for sharing that journey with me. Um, as I said prior to the show, I've just been so inspired by you and 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 your journey. And you know, as as we are in Mental Health Awareness Month. A lot of people are struggling. We, we've struggled through pandemic. We've struggled through um, being alone. There's a lot of addiction and alcoholism. And, and quite frankly, I think people um, have lost contact with what is most important to them. And as I've listened to your story, um, you don't just talk about your amazing success and the fact that you've started several companies and been a top salesperson. Now you're helping others achieve the kind of success that you've had. You also talk about having success, but also feeling like a failure, feeling empty inside and the transformation that you've gone through to fill that whole and to really feel like you're moving in the right direction. I'd love to talk more about that part. For years, people asked me to talk about my path to being a number one salesperson. And they wanted to know exactly how I did it in the perfect recipe that they could replicate it. Mm -hmm. And I was really proud of that story. And I told it on stage in front of hundreds, thousands of people. And and I'm passionate about it because that is a part of my story. But it wasn't until this last year when COVID 
caused me to lose quite a bit in my life and have to look inward in order to rebuild, that I started to acknowledge that maybe people needed to hear a different story because Mm -hmm. the world has done such a great job building the definition of success that so many people fight for, they sacrifice for, and at the end of the day, the question is, but what did you actually gain? And my personal story coming from a very rough upbringing full of alcoholism and abuse and poverty, and I didn't have anything going for me. (laughs) But when I got that opportunity at 22 years old, I started healing my wounds through success and recognition because I finally found something that I was really good at doing. And because I had 22 years growing up in a family where I did not feel love, where I didn't get the recognition that my my soul was craving, I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel like enough. I was constantly spoken down to, belittled. Um, I had some pretty harsh nicknames in the family. I was laughed at constantly. And I found a way to heal those wounds. And that was through success and recognition. And unfortunately, the world will spoon feed that narrative to you and the opportunity. It's the American dream, right? And so that became an addiction for me. At 22, when people started to recognize that I was talented and capable, it became a drug for me. And I raced to become the number one salesperson. I have the crystal on my shelf still. I am proud of it. But what happened is I turned into a monster. It was succeed at all costs. I didn't invest in myself. Um, I worked a lot of hours. I wasn't kind to people. I did whatever it took to win. I will even admit that I did manipulate a few agendas and outcomes in order to win business so that I could crush my quota and be number one and nothing horrifically bad. But as a high performing salesperson, I know a lot of people can relate when it came down to doing the right thing or doing right by the client versus squeezing in one last deal. So you could hit your multiplier, win the award or be number one or get the recognition. You know, unfortunately I I chose the latter a couple of times so that I could win. And what ended up happening for me is even after all that success and then stepping out into being an entrepreneur, um, I helped 36 startups and small business owners excel in a three-year period. And I had a 100% success rate. I was really high on myself and my ego. I um, believed my own press and it was very lonely. At 29 years old, I had done more. So before even turning 30, I had accomplished more than most people accomplish in a lifetime. And I did everything the world told me to do. And I was sitting alone by myself with my martinis and my Cheetos late at night, surfing the dating apps because I couldn't get one personal relationship right. Um, I struggled with moderating my alcohol consumption and It was also helping to fill a void in my life and numb some of the harder days. And for me at 29 years old, if you looked at me from the surface, you would say, wow, or maybe you wouldn't, but a lot of people did, you know, wow, she really did a lot of amazing things. But on the inside, I was completely broken and empty. I had a hardened heart. 
um, I just felt like the inside of me was colored black. It was just dead. There was no warmth. And even though I had accomplished all of those things, I still didn't feel good enough, worthy. I just had destination addiction. I just kept trying to find the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And finally at 29, I hit my rock bottom and I finally had the wake up call that transformed my life. I feel like I had a few wake up calls before, but I just didn't take them seriously. And I finally was in such a dark and lonely place that I asked the question to the world, why was I made? Why was I created? What am I here for? Because it didn't even make sense. And and this is getting just super real for you. I, I didn't even want to live. I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't feel like I had a purpose or a place. It, my life didn't matter. And that's how I felt. Like being a number one salesperson or being really great at scaling companies, so what? There's other people who can do that. I wasn't in tune with why I was created or my purpose. And so I just walked around on this earth. Like, honestly, if I wasn't here, like a few people might be sad for a minute, but the world wouldn't be missing anything. And I would plead with a God I didn't know at that time at night. Like, why don't you just give my life to that dying mother who has, you know, three kids and she's dying of breast cancer and she's 35. Like, give my life to her. She has purpose. I don't need it. And I would just remember being so, such in a dark place. And finally, in that crying out, I was in a relationship and um, it just ended terribly, just like all the rest of them. And it happened to be on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, I woke up and I went to Village Inn. Um, I didn't have, I was separated from my family at the time. I didn't have any personal relationships and I just sat there and I cried. And finally I said, I need to go talk to my friend. He was a former pastor and I went uh, to his house. It was about seven or eight degrees outside. I was sitting outside of his apartment, texting, uh, dropping hints and clues that I might be sitting outside. Um, too ashamed to ask if he would let me in. And he finally realized what was going on. He let me in. I couldn't even stand up. I was sitting outside of his apartment door, just leaning against it. And I just rolled in on the floor in his entryway, just a ball of tears, puddle crying and realizing there has to be more to life than this. And he um, did what any great former pastor would do, but he, but he opened the Bible and he opened it to page one and said, why don't we start here? And that was the day that my life forever changed. And it was a very slow process, but nothing short of absolutely remarkable has transpired from that moment. Being connected to my purpose in this world and being a steward of good and light in this world, um, it's been the best seven, eight years of uh, my life that I could ask for. Talk about just redemption in that. But that was a lot. So I'll pause. It, it was a lot. And it was absolutely beautiful. And thank you so much. And it's just amazing because the first few minutes you shared about your incredible success as an entrepreneur. And had I not asked about this personal struggle, I may not have ever known. And And the truth of the matter is, that people are complex, that we, we can put on a great face. We, we wake up, we put on that mask, we go out, we face the world. And so many of us are suffering inside. And while we may be hitting quota, we may be getting the spotlight and all the accolades that come with it, 
it doesn't help that human condition. And what you're talking about for me isn't foreign. I see it every day. I, I've gone through my own experiences and feeling lost and feeling like I didn't have direction in the world. And, and for me, reaching out and helping others became such a core part of who I was because when I was 25, I felt empty. I also had success and I felt like there was nothing for me. I was sort of living a life that wasn't mine. It was sort of, I was trying to fill my father's dreams of who I should be without any idea who I was and what I truly wanted. And I find that in the competitive world of sales and, and business, we all slap on that face, put on our makeup, whatever it is, we go hit it and mm -hmm. We don't stop long enough to realize that we're measuring ourselves by the results, by how other people see us and not how we feel inside. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you talked about a very dark place. And while you might not have been suicidal, there are a lot of people out there who are suffering from depression, anxiety, who are feeling suicidal, who don't know where to turn. And it sounds like for you, you reached out to a former pastor. For other people, just reaching out to somebody and being honest, opening up with what's going on with you and that you don't have all the answers and you're not that perfect person that's not flawed. Um, that kind of release is really, really important. And I think that so many of us are tying our self-worth to our performance and that we just don't have the opportunity, whether it's through um, buying things, consumerism, or selling more, or, or having wealth, that that's how we equate who we are and what we are. And it misses the mark by such a huge, huge, um, by any measure. So I, I thank you, Mary. And I think, and I know that, look, there's not two parts. There's not a side A and a side B to your life. There's a narrative that you're now weaving and part of it includes your struggle and your success. And, and it sounds like you've been able to combine those things and start to really help other people with your mission and your purpose. So thank you for being open. It really is amazing. Of course. Of course. Do you want to hear the a little bit more or do you want to redirect our conversation into something oh, no, else? I want to hear a lot more. I want to hear okay. <laughs> how you're today. I want to hear what fuels you. I want to hear what what advice you have for other people who are struggling with the kinds of things that you I'm sure still struggle with because it's not all, you know, sunshine and flowers today either. No. The, the biggest realization for me is that it was a process to heal from the success addiction and recognition addiction that I had. And the steps for me personally, so I don't know if these are the exact steps for anyone else listening, but the steps for me personally is I had to heal my wounds and I had to do it in a very slow, natural way. It wasn't going to be a quick fix. It needed to be one step at a time. And so I was able to start to identify what were those wounds. Let's, let's answer that first. And when I was able to write those out, then I was be able to become clear on how to solve for those. And so I was able to identify a lot of triggers and patterns 
that I had of when I was reacting versus responding, when I was um, triggering a negative emotional state, and how to intercept that and separate the facts from stories when that trigger would occur and then not send me down that negative spiral and believing a lot of lies. And so that was step number one for me was identifying what are those wounds and then what causes me to get triggered and spiral down a bad path. So I started to work through those, but little things... um, um, so I became a Christian very quickly thereafter. I was introduced um, through a mutual friend on a blind date to my now husband. And boy, was that hard meeting a very godly man when all I was used to dating were complete train wrecks. And from day one of meeting him, he valued me. He adored me. He never asked a question or dug into my past. He just solely appreciated me and adored me for who I was, which was something new for me to learn because it wasn't based on performance or how I was to him or for him. It was just me. (laughs) And that was a lesson that was very hard to learn. Um, It took me about five years to really be comfortable with the fact and knowing that me just as me is actually enough, not me when Mm -hmm. I do or me when I accomplish or me when I am. No, it's just now. This is actually okay. And it it's baby steps into believing that and really identifying my purpose and worth came as a product of that. So one, it was just like, I am enough and I'm okay the way that I am. I don't have to be anything different. So from there, I made the decision to go back into the sales world and did a second stint at paychecks. And this time I had to show up to that role because I was a different woman and I needed to show up different. And a lot of the same people still worked there, but they saw a very different version of me. This time I was very kind. I was a whole human and I was able to bring a brilliant mindset and very focused energy to the role. So I wasn't working those crazy hours. I wasn't mean. I wasn't steamrolling rolling people. I was actually very collaborative and embracing teams for the first time and a bigger strategy than just, I'm just going to do everything myself because everyone else is incompetent, which is a lie that I used to believe. And so it was a remarkable three years in working in collaboration. And also just um, fun fact, I used to panic, um, I would refresh on my Salesforce dashboard, the rankings, company-wide rankings, because I had to be number one. Like I didn't know any other way. And I would hit there and hit that refresh button multiple times a day. And I would watch the numbers change in real time as I'd hit that refresh. And I would just look at the Delta. And if I didn't have a big enough cushion between me and the next person, (laughs) um, it would trigger me and it would cause panic. And so like, that's giving a specific example of things that I had to overcome and be okay okay with. And one of the things that helped is um, my husband and I, we decided to, to start a family. And when I was pregnant, I had to come to the conclusion that I need to make room for this baby in my life that it's not just about me anymore. And that was one of the hardest things I've actually had to deal with in my life was making room for my son because I had turned into such an overachiever, high performer, and it was all about me and it was all in my control. Well, the second, especially when you get pregnant, you know, not even when you have the baby, things start happening to you that they were outside of my control, the fatigue, the sickness, and the and the crazy pregnancy brain. Like I'm such a sharp person and pregnancy brain is 
very challenging as a high-performing salesperson. I would be forgetting things and not as prepared. I'm like, who is this version of myself? Um, but also what was difficult was coming to the terms that I had to actually grieve and let go of that addiction to the leaderboard because I was only going to be working nine months out of the year and I, w- and I was pregnant. So like I couldn't hold myself to that standard. Now, thankfully, I still finished, I want to say... Um, number six or seven that year, which was still really great. Um, You know, out of 300 plus reps in our division, and if you ranked my revenue, you know, across others divisions, it was still top 10. But anywho, I was just so proud of that. But what really was difficult was learning how to be one plus one with my husband and then one plus one plus one with our son and to migrate into being just about me and that top performer into being a wife and a mom. And that was actually a very difficult time for me because that's really in that five-year journey of me learning how to grieve my former self. And it was such a blessing to come out on the other end of that. It didn't all go away all at once. I know you know parts of my story. My son was 15 months old when I started the company. And I had this idea that the CEO was supposed to be the first one in and the last one out. I thought if I'm going to be a high-performing, fast-scaling CEO, that I have to set the tone. And this was pre-COVID. And so this was when people were expected to be in the office five days a week. And um, my husband and I had uh, an agreement on how he was going to bear a lot of weight at home. And take care of our, our kid. I was traveling all the time. I was doing evening events because um, I was doing business development. And then in the mornings, I left the house at about 5.45 a.m. because timber traffic was so bad back then. And so, um, and I live about 30 miles south. And so I had to leave at 5.45 in the morning to get ahead of traffic and be in. Plus we had East Coast clients. I was starting meetings and calls at 6 a.m., 6.15 in the morning. It was a, um, a really interesting first couple of years in the business and I didn't get things right. So that's another nugget that I just want to sit on for a second, getting your life in order and getting to, you had said balance earlier. I really feel like it is that work-life integration and being a whole being and not just a wife or a mom and a CEO, you know, or a CEO. It's not one of the three. It's figuring out how to be all three because I am only one person and I am all three in in a single day, every single day, I am all three and it's not separating it out. Now I'm the CEO. Now I can go be a mom. No, like I'm only one person. And so for me, that's where I really uh, struggled in the first couple of years of the business was trying to figure out how to get that right. And honestly, I didn't. (laughs) Old habits die hard. Um, Also, I just felt a lot of risk because I was making um, a few hundred thousand dollars a year as a salesperson. And then I went to an income of zero to start a company. And I felt a lot of weight for my family to provide, but also I had employees. I'm like, holy smokes, I was like five or six families I'm responsible for. Well, COVID did us a lot of favors. Um, COVID allowed us to lose 60% of our client base which looking back were clients that we should have never had on the service because they didn't fit our ICP. Um, Unfortunately, we we shed a team member or two and also um, weren't people that were the right fit for our long-term vision. But during that time in March, 2020, this was the biggest um, blessing I think I've received in my life to date was in that moment when I had to work from home because we couldn't leave the house That's when, and my husband and son were home and it was very foreign to me to be home. And I was on the third day 
of losing business, losing business, losing business, and not knowing when the bleeding was going to stop. And I was in um, just sheer and utter panic. And I went into the living room. My son's playing trains on the floor. My husband's sitting on the floor with him. And I'm going into the living room and I kneel down on the floor and I just start crying. (laughs) I feel like I've lost it all. Um, I feel like I let down so many people in that moment of what am I going to do from here? And one of the coolest things that happened in that moment, two things. I looked, the, the TV was on and it was illuminating my son's face. And I looked at him and I'm like, I don't even recognize my kid. He just grown up so much. And he, and then I look over at my husband and I'm like, I had had nothing but terrible, tumultuous, abusive, manipulative relationships until my husband, who has been so good to me, and I took it for granted. And I allowed him to take and bear the full weight of raising my son, our son, and running the household. And I looked over at this man who I'm so madly in love with. And I thought, what a sacrifice of what he did for me to allow me to pursue this. And I was just so convicted in that moment. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I don't care what the world says. I, in my heart, in that moment in time, believed a new narrative, which was I can be a high-performing CEO and a wife and a mom. And it starts today. And I don't know what kind of company I'm going to have left (laughs) after this COVID shutdown, but the commitment in my heart, and it was really um, leaning on my faith in that moment and really full surrender, truly on my knees on the floor in full surrender of just pleading with God, just take the company, take it away. Like I will rebuild. I'll figure it out. I'm a strong, capable woman. I only want what he wants for me. I, I, I've proven time and time again that I can make things happen. Great. Woohoo. But I, it was time for me to fully, fully, fully align with what he has for me and my God-given purpose on this planet because I didn't want another one of those episodes ever again in my life where I felt so far out of alignment. And in that moment, I just felt like I was given the opportunity to rebuild, and that's what we did. And I started with rebuilding me. (laughs) Me. I had worked so hard over two and a half years. I was exhausted. I was traveling every week. I was barely sleeping. And when the COVID shutdown happened and we were working from home, I didn't have that commute anymore. We lost 60% of our clients. All of a sudden, I had time to sleep and to rest Um, I had my son home. I had time to restore that relationship with my son and my husband. And then from there, I said, we have to rebuild this company in a way that honors parents. And that was the first time that I looked at the world's definition of success that strongly and said, get out. We will rebuild this company friendly to moms, to parents, where no parent ever again, not just the CEO, because I own the darn thing. 
So I get my own schedule. I think that's BS. I'm like, I don't ever want one of my employees, one of my team members to have the moment that I just had where they dedicated their life so heavily to a career, especially if it was my company, to where they sacrificed what God blessed them with in their own family. And so I made a commitment that day, like we're doing away with this rigid work schedule and all of our rules and we're rebuilding and we've never looked back. So not only even as a small firm, we do about three and a half million a year, we're 22 people. Not only do we have paid maternity and paternity, but we also have unlimited PTO. We have complete flexible work schedules. We have parents, um, a handful of parents employed with our company that have some kids still at home because of COVID being shut down. Others are in school and all different, all different scenarios. And every person is honored to block their calendar for anything, picking up dropping off, helping get on Zoom, lunch times, baseball games, I don't care, block the time out. And so for us to get that right and rebuild, oh my gosh, can I just tell you like how everything falls in place after that? Of course. I just just want to stop for a moment. That I know that's your story and you're very familiar with it, but it's a really beautiful, powerful story. I mean, the the, the fact that You've had several awakenings and that you've been able to shift and adjust and and introduce new strength into your life. And and it sounds like you're building a organization now that's very mission driven. And so the lessons that you've learned, the, the hard lessons and the pain that you've gone through, you've been able to utilize that to build in a new direction and touch people in a way that... Um, hopefully prevents them from going through some of the same pain and making the same mistakes that you have made, which is ultimately one of the things that I believe that keeps us from falling back into our old habits because that part of you isn't completely gone. That part of you that is judging you by the things you do or the success that you become, um, that's always there. And those voices, I believe, are there. And if you don't consistently work to improve, to move in a different direction, it's easy for those things to come back. And so when I think about how incredible you are and, and, and this organization that you're building, but you're also touching your clients. And, and I'm sure that you, you're working with a lot of clients that, you know, want to see that incredible success and want to move in that direction. How do you deal with when you see managers sort of with that old way of thinking that we have to win at all costs and they're working their people into, you know, to the bone. Are you able to speak up? Are you able to say anything about that? Um, You know, how can you be helpful to the companies that you work with, not just your own? We have to. I mean, it's part of our core values. Our core values are serve first, scale second, and succeed always. And breaking down core value number one, we serve ourselves first. If we're not whole ourselves, what do we have left to give? You can't give what you don't have. And so we we have to take care of ourselves. And that means a hundred different things. But then we serve our team second. We have a lot of uh, high performers and brilliant people on staff at our company. And when somebody actually asks for help and raises their hand, we have a culture where the rest of the team will just 
get around that person and give them whatever they need because we very rarely ask for help. But the third is to serve our clients and our client is the CEO. And then as an extension of that CEO is their team, but that CEO comes first. And if we don't genuinely love that CEO, and that may sound a little kumbaya, but what business do we have scaling that CEO's company if we aren't generally intertwined with them and their heart and their mission and the why behind why are we scaling this thing? And if we can get in at that level and and genuinely care, all of a sudden our work, and that's really a big shift we did in 2020, all of a sudden, it just started exploding in all the right ways. But as an extension of what we are building internally, we are then that, oh gosh, kumbaya, sorry, but the love and light for our CEOs who may not have ever experienced that before. And then they start embodying that. And so their walls start breaking down and their mind starts opening up. But that CEO mindset shifts to maybe it is possible to not have this Grind them down, grind them down, grind them down culture, which a lot of them were raised that way, just like I was. And so there's this empathy that we come into that conversation with the CEO. And then once we're able to help them see the possibilities, they start changing. And so their leadership style shifts a little bit. And then the leadership meetings with their team sound a little bit different. And those managers start to take little pieces away and thinking like, huh. And then we have uh, w- one of our divisions is our sales empowerment team. And it's it's not for uh, it, the word empower. They need to learn to get it right because we're meant to be short term. We only work with our clients for about twelve to eighteen months on a on a pretty exciting pace of scale. But then we build the engine inside of their company, the revenue engine, and then empower them to take it over. But that doesn't mean we can wait till the last 30 days of our engagement. We have to start empowering them from the first day we start working with them. And a lot of the coaching and mentorship and development that we do with the management layer inside of our our clients' companies is to start taking on that understanding, just as you said, that we have to shift them away from that get it done at all costs and grind them into the ground culture um, and you know, the fire, the bitter, their stomach stuff, like, okay, there's other ways to create urgency to your salespeople. Um, so we find ways to coach and develop and to train so that they start to get excited about that and they have to buy into it. Once they buy into it, they start to embody it. And then it's not words coming out of their mouth. It's actually their actions and what they're doing. Again, going back to the BQ, the behavioral quotient, then Their teams are inspired by their leaders' actions, not the words coming out of their mouth, but actually what they're physically doing, how they're showing up to work, embracing calmness and curiosity and being genuine in conversations. And all of a sudden, the sales team or marketing team or CS team, whoever we're working with there, they start to become empowered at a whole new level. Performance increases. But yes, it has to to start one at the CEO. Don't try to change an organization from your field up, we have found great success with starting at the CEO and having it trickle down. Mm. So, so we have a lot of sales leaders, leaders who listen to this show. And um, if they have members of their team that, that are clearly struggling or if they're struggling themselves, what sort of advice can you give them um, both for themselves and for those they manage to help them through these difficult times? My recommendation is to have a conversation unlike any conversation they've had before. And 
that could mean setting up in a different environment. So if that sales manager has an opportunity to meet with a rep offsite, that could be um, great. If that's not possible, then to set aside some time, even if it's not over Zoom, it could maybe just be a very casual phone call, something that uh, changes the environment a little bit, takes out any distraction. And the manager needs to come from a place of I care and I, I want to learn. And so it's a manager really not having an agenda other than I want to give you some space. And you can say why, you know, I've noticed or I've observed or it might just be a hunch or I've been feeling some fill in the blank, but create space. This time is just to create space for you. I just want to hear from you. Tell me what's going on. And to allow the salesperson to share in a way that is safe, met by calmness. So one thing we would coach the manager on, just like parenting, (laughs) your reaction to what they initially share will will then structure the rest of the conversation of where they want to take it. So if your first response is very calm with some breaths <laughs> and not reacting or, or even responding right away, but just creating some room, acknowledging with what they said, and then allowing them to take it further, or even asking a second or third level question, just like you would do in a sales meeting. But to give that salesperson some space, ultimately you want to accomplish a couple of things. One, that salesperson has that radio station in their head, WIIFM, what's in it for me. And they they also, rules of empathy, they can't hear you until they feel heard. Um, I think it's, um, now it's escaping me. What is the leadership principle of you? Um, they don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Like just put all of that into one soup here. <laughs> create the space for the rep and allow them to share and create an environment that you've never created for them before and just be extremely patient and calm with what they share and really protect that space. And don't be quick to try to solve the problem or have any reaction to what's being shared. If the salesperson, if you do this successfully, and it'll probably be the first of many conversations, the hope is that you can get to the core of the being and not the salesperson. So not the profession, but the actual person. And my hope would be in that conversation is you can actually uncover and learn what's happening on the very inner depths of that person. From there, you can structure an outcome or a path to a desired outcome that you both agree upon. Again, it's just like sales and meeting with your prospect and uncovering the pain and working together to guide what possible outcomes could be your solution and then helping to walk down that path. We need to be doing that with our salespeople. I, although I didn't recognize that it was happening at the time, I will tell you that I had two sales managers back to back that deeply, passionately cared about my success and they knew who they were dealing with, which was a young, broken, success-addicted person. And they knew who I was. And so they were able to breathe life into me and help guide me. It was mentorship at a level that looking back, I'm like, that was so big of those two sales managers. They didn't have to do that for me, but they did. And it forever helped shape that trajectory of my life and success. And so that is my recommendation that we create that space and have conversations that we may not have had to this point so we can truly identify what is going on with that salesperson. Mm, I love that so much. And I, I, I believe that to be true. It's it, there's no better way to touch others than to 
truly try to understand them and, and their perspective and where they're coming from. And I, I, I also love the analogy to sales and, and discovery and exploring the situation and trying to understand what, what they're going through as a business or in their individual role. Um, taking that approach with, with our team is, is critical and creating that safe space that you've described Ultimately, we are all people and, and we all have wants and needs to be understood and felt and, 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 and heard. And so if we can deliver that type of empathy and, and connection, I think ultimately that is the best way to motivate people um, and to help them on their journey, which is really, um, I appreciate it so much. Mary, you are doing a lot of different things. Obviously you have House of Revenue, uh, you have BQ. Um, how are you balancing it all today and making sure that you don't fall into those old ways? How do you do it? Well, I, have you read the book, The One Thing? Yes, I have, yes. Okay. <laughs> well, I align with a lot of what's in that book. And funny, I actually did not read the book until this weekend this past weekend. However, I don't know if maybe mentors or people in my life have read it. And so some of the principles that I've gathered over the last year have come from that book because I was reading it thinking, okay, this is uncanny. Um, here's the deal. You have to find the one thing that all else stems from or comes from, and then you can identify the priority that needs to happen. And it's really mastering saying no. So here's the here's the process that I did to build this life that I have. One, in order to go from a 100-hour work week down to a 40-hour work week, I had to list out where my time was spent. I made a chart. And I identified future state. I created my future vision of what my life was going to look like. What of those things still existed in the future state? I built the vision. I, I mapped it out. This is the life I want. And then it was a very easy, methodical process. Then the, let's say I'm, I'm keeping 40 hours. So that's 60 hours that had to go every week. And so I took those and then I developed a plan. So I bucketized them and I developed a plan on who was going to be taking those over and in what time frame, and what the delegation process, training process looked like, and then how I would have maintained visibility into those so that I could manage those. Then I also got really smart about how I structured my day. So there's time and energy management. I am a maker in the first few hours of the day and a manager in the second half of the day, because that's when I have the most willpower. That's when I have the most energy and that's when I have the opportunity to be hyper-focused. So what I do is I wake up naturally all on my own. Don't ask me how that started. I, I mean, okay. It's probably because I had a kid and like for a year he woke up at 4.30 every morning. So I got used to it, but <laughs> I wake up naturally between 4.45 and 5.15 and I roll on downstairs with my cup of coffee and I spend a few minutes in the Word or reading a devotional or something just to armor up for the day, get my head on straight before diving into my email. Um, and then I get into the email and I 
set each priority for everything that needs to happen for the day. I shift, I delegate, we use Basecamp um, as our project management tool. So I'm able to go through, delegate out tasks. I'm able to make sure my calendar is time blocked, color coded, everything feels right. I knock out administrative work in the morning. I run up and shower. I wake up my son. I have 45 minutes to an hour of extremely purposeful mom and wife time. I take my son to school every day and then I get to the office. And then at that point, I do willingly schedule myself back to back from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. I know how to book certain meetings when and where to manage my energy and make sure that I'm doing a great job. I do build in a few breaks um, throughout the day. And then my day ends at four. I get my kid. I go home. I make an amazing dinner and I have wife and mom time and I'm very structured. If for any reason I need to jump on work later in the evening, I've learned to communicate to my family. I actually tell them exactly what the task is and say, we, we got a new prospective client um, inbound lead come in yesterday and they are moving forward into proposal. I need to get this sent out tonight because we are competing and I want to make sure that my proposal is in first. Therefore, I'm going to carve out about 30 minutes to get this done. And then my husband and son, there's no question, no animosity builds. There's no misinterpretation of why I'm on my computer or anybody thinking like, geez, this is the third night she's been on her laptop. All she does is work, you know, because people make up stories. And so when I'm clear and communicate and then I stick to what I said, 30 minutes, computer closed, intentional, read my son a story, we put him to bed. And then I have that time with my husband and I'm in bed by nine o'clock. And that allows me to have the right restful cycle, take care of myself and be intentional for the three parts of who I am, which is wife, mom, and CEO. The cool thing is, the whole company, all 22 of us have adopted the same structure and we honor each other. So we are heavily reliant on scheduling emails to go out when we hit working hours in the morning. So if anyone is that late night owl, they're not firing off a bunch of Slack messages and emails at night, triggering unwanted responses from the recipient. So we're extremely purposeful. And then we don't do Slack messages over the weekend unless we gain permission um, before we head into the weekend, if a project needs to be done. We also have a lot of company paid holidays to where we shut down and no one's allowed to work. We have to unplug and only by very rare exception can something take place. And so we have a lot of four day weekends and three day weekends um, throughout the year that we're very purposeful about. And so by doing that, we feel like we're doing a pretty good job as a 22 person team of managing that. And then for me personally, my to-do list gets done every day. All the work is delegated that needs to be. And I have clear line of sight and visibility into the metrics that matter. So I'm never up at night like, I wonder how that project's going or I need to get so-and-so on the phone or whatnot. We really do, thankfully, have it down to what feels like a science right now. So it really does sound like your one thing is balancing your three things, mom, wife, and CEO. And that for you is the keys to success. That's it. That's my one thing Amazing. is that I am one person and I happen to be, I happen to have three titles. Amazing. Thank you so much, Mary. Really, really enjoyed this. This was a, uh, a really special time and hopefully um, the listeners were able to hear how special you are and how your journey has really shaped you and how you're touching others. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they reach out? Connect with me on LinkedIn, Grothy, G-R-O-T-H-E. Find us at houseofrevenue.com, or you can shoot us uh, an email as well, info at houseofrevenue.com. Thank you again, Mary. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, 
I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Mary Grothy for sharing her story with us today and Howard Brown for so ably filling in for me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, I would appreciate it. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Good selling, everyone.